0: We tend to be exposed to urban history through texts, photographs, or lore, hearing things from neighbors, family, and friends. However, what about the names of the streets themselves? I never really took them seriously. I once lived on a street named after a famous medieval philosopher who likely never lived in that particular city. However, a new book takes street names, particularly those of central Cairo, and tells us the story of Cairo through the way the streets have been named. So my name is Eni Mansour Arnadara and today on New Books in Middle East Studies, we're looking at a field guide to the street names of Central Cairo, Out 2018, AUC Press, and we're talking to both of its authors. Humphrey Davis is the translator of a number of Arabic novels, including The Akubian Building by Hala Aswani, AUC Press 2004, and Leg Over Leg by Ahmed Fadish Shidia, NYU Press, 2014. He has twice been awarded the Saif Khul Benipal Prize for Arabic Literary Translation. Leslie Lababidi is the author of Cairo Practical Guide, uh, 2011 AUC Press in its 17th edition, Cairo Street Stories, AUC Press 2008. Cairo, The Family Guide, AUC Press, 4th edition as of 2010, and Silent No More, Special Needs People in Egypt, AUC Press 2005, an active and well-traveled blogger. She currently lives between Cairo, Beirut, and Lagos. I do not think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that English language book markets have seen much in the way of books that are organized almost as dictionaries, almost as dictionaries for things that are not words. But that's essentially what a Field Guide to the Street Names of Central Cairo is. There are maps and introduction at the beginning of the book, with histories of the neighborhoods Leslie and Humphrey are going to be covering included. Namely, Azbakiya Taufiqiya, Downtown Abdin, Qasr al-Dubara, Garden City, Munira, Fum al-Kharig, Al-Gazira, and Zamalek. This is followed by a glossary of Arabic terms, then the guide itself, which is organized alphabetically in English, by street name with subsections under the names accounting for shifts in the name over time. But even though this was in English, this did not feel foreign to me relative to the literature of the Arabic speaking world, where there are biographical dictionaries, geographical dictionaries, in addition to plain old lexical dictionaries. So it felt natural that this should be applied to the street names of Cairo. I wondered where Leslie and Humphrey themselves got the idea for the book.
1: Well, I had done quite a few books travel not guidebooks uh, about cairo previously um cairo practical guide cairo family guide and cairo street stories and all of which have um, have done a lot of um, on, on field work and in different neighborhoods and of course street names are prominent with the history and the ge- geography of those areas so this this book Maybe not specifically about street names for me, but it it in, um, intertwined with other work that I've done. So I I felt very comfortable uh, in the street in, working uh, within the neighborhoods because of the other the other publications that I've been um, involved with. Uh,
2: and for me, I think uh, that the, the, I I've been interested in street names from probably almost as soon as I first got here, which is more than 40 years ago. Um, and Because I don't know if this is true of any other country or any other city, but there is this curious um, habit uh, in Cairo of putting underneath the, on the the street sign, writing the name of the street, and then sometimes writing underneath it, formally, such and such a name. And so that was in, in itself intriguing. Uh, why this, you know, that first of all, the that, that street names should change. I think I come from London. I don't think street changed, uh, streets in London change their names more than once every 700 years. Um, so, but here we were, every, every street uh, seemed to have um, a former name and that reinforced by, there's a kind of a nostalgia game that people play here too. When you say, uh, you refer to... Um, uh, Talat Harb Street, for example, people would say, "Oh, you mean Cinnamon Basha Street," and if you talk about Twenty Sixth of July Street, they say, "Oh, you mean uh, Sharaf al Ed," and, and so on so, uh, and so forth, referring to their previous names. Um, and then, at a certain point, I also remember I was translating um, Midaq Ali by nagib Hassoun. And there's a very central role played by a square that he calls Queen Farida Square. And I at first didn't know what he was talking about, but uh, I quickly found out that in fact that's what is now called Ataba Square and had previously been called Ataba Square. When I got into researching it, I discovered that for about a period of eight years, it had been named after the King Farouk's first wife, and then when he got divorced, the street, you know, the, the square went back to being um, Ataba Square, uh, which gave the whole thing something, you know, a certain poignancy. Plus, in that book, Ali, um, the square itself plays such an important role because it's sort of the the watershed between old Cairo and new Cairo. Um, and when the heroine who has grown up in a little alleyway in old Cairo, she sort of peeks out almost like a mouse looking out of her mouse hole at uh, from the edge of uh, Queen Farida Square and, and and realizes that there's a whole new world out there. So there actually came... I realized then that it's actually useful for a translator and an entirely practical way to know... About the changing toponymy of a city that you're translating a book about, in this case Cairo. Um, And secondly, it just gave the whole thing, I just started to realize just how important the urban landscape is to the way that people see the city. I have
1: no, I was just going to say that this book really is the inspiration from Humphrey. It's his vision. there's been a lot of uh, articles written about street names in newspapers and magazines, and it's interesting that I've run into quite a few people that have said wistfully how they had desired to write a book about street names, but no one had ever attempted it until Humphrey came along and put a proposal together uh, and... For aUC press and by the way we're thankful to aUC press for having us hosting us in their downtown office, but he put together this proposal um, of a comprehensive survey and a, of central the street names of central cairo and it really was the first person to to attempt this in, in, in English, there's been other uh, books written in Arabic that have have uh, studied street names, but nothing in English. And he, he took this, his vision not only to look at the current street names, but to develop a um, timeline for every, every street from its origin. And I think that that was a challenge. And for me to have uh, Humphrey invite me to work on this project... Was, um, it, was, it was really an honor for me and I, I have to give him all the credit and I'm always um, amazed and uh, in awe of his knowledge about uh, Cairo and, this, and Streets.
2: Well, thank you very much, Leslie. <laughs> it couldn't have been done without you, so um, the, uh, the thanks are mutual.
0: I want to give you a sense of the book itself. It's something that clearly took a lot of labor and a lot of care, creativity to source the information itself. So before Leslie and Humphrey tell us how they collaborated to produce the book, here's an entry from the book, one of the descriptions of the street names and its history. Titled, Shara al-Ashmawi in al or al-Ashmawi street in al Named so since 1913, after Darwish al-Ashmawi died 1831, a Sufi saint descended from the Prophet Muhammad, who is said to have been driven insane by the death of his elder brother in their home village of al-Ashma in al-Manufiyya. After three years in a lunatic asylum, Al-Ashmawi emerged with spiritual powers and moved to nearby Harat al-Hadara, where he was visited and venerated by commoner and elite alike. He moved to the street in 1819 and was buried here. The mosque erected over the tomb in 1850 by the future ruler Abbas Halmi I during his tenure as Deputy Viceroy still stands, although it is damaged by the earthquake of 1992.
1: Yes, we. this is our first... Uh, collaboration and I, I think we really were we, we worked well as a team because I'm much better I'm uh, at going out into the field working um, on the ground and Humphreys the scholar we were I think the most important part of this whole project and I think we both have a, a, a strength in organization was to make the structure and the foundation of how we wanted to present all this information and we worked on this for probably the first nine months of getting the structure of um, presentation of information down and after that we were able to then begin to insert um, do the research find the resources and insert information but I, I think the critical part of this work and we were on the, always um, communicating back and forth uh, was the structure so once that was in place we didn't meet a lot, but we would have um, an outline, and each one of us had responsibilities. And we would then maybe every three months get together to, to re-look at the outline and, and, and um, find out where we were, but always maintaining an alpha-based file.
2: And of, we, co- and, of course, we were constantly yeah. communicating via email. Uh, that must, must be my biggest email file.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so um, I, I think we really, for in my opinion, worked well together in that as, aspect.
2: Yeah. I, uh, Leslie went out and did the footwork, you might say, because she checked every single street on the ground. Uh, and that was essential. People might think, well, what's the well, what's the big deal? I mean, you have a map, right? So you just put the map in front of you and copy down the names. But in fact, there is no such thing as a complete uh, and accurate map of Cairo, uh, especially not the most recent ones. Our, the basis with, from which we worked were two um, guidebooks uh, and Cairo. One's called Cairo Key, the other called Cairo A to Z or A to Z, and um, uh, neither of those two, uh, both those two tend to contradict one one another um, and have gaps with places where streets are indicated but um, there's no name given or um, you go to the street that, as it's indicated on the map and you find that in fact there's more streets there than you thought because of these little tiny capillary streets often just get… Ignored by map makers, I think uh, even Google Maps, which you know is satellite based, so you get an absolutely um, accurate picture of the streets of any given area. The naming um, can be bizarrely uh, inaccurate. Uh, for example, uh, on Google Maps, the, the the street that defines the eastern side of Garden City, which is a well known um, suburb on the banks of the Nile on the east side and uh, the, it's on the east bank of the Nile on the east side of that suburb the, according to Google Maps is the Corniche Nile which is of course the, the street, the road that goes down the bank of the Nile so if you were to take that literally and turn left off the Corniche Nile you would plunge into the water uh, in fact of course what happens is you get into Garden City um, and it's getting to the point of um, being uh, you know, a nuisance at the practical level, because apparently I'm told that now uh, when you have um, now the Egyptian post office is sometimes refusing to deliver mail to places whose names do not appear on Google maps, but you have another example. For example, there's a famous small street, rather elegant street in downtown Cairo with, arches à la rue de Rivoli in Paris called Mamar Behler, Behler Passage, after Charles Baylor, who was a Swiss hotel entrepreneur. Um, And this comes up in Google Maps as Balmer Passage, B-A-L-M-E-R. Apparently, the Egyptian post office is now refusing to deliver mail to Behler Passage just because they're looking for Balmer Passage. Um, And... uh, and, you know, that's obviously a major nuisance for people.
0: Leslie and Humphrey are going to get back at how they built this book, specifically with regards to sources. But before we do so, here's another entry that captures a space that many of you who've been to Cairo might know because of the metro stop currently in the square itself, Midan Azbek, part of the larger Midan Ataba. A small square, Midan Azbek, from at least 1905 occupied the space between the north side of the Mixed Courts Tribunal and the Al-Azbakiyya Gardens. The square was home to the Mataya Cafe, a renowned gathering place of artists and intellectuals, named for its owner since 1872, Matatiyas Nahman, a Greek Jewish merchant. The removal of the tribunal in 1934 meant that Midan Azbek became a part of the enlarged Midan Al-Ata al khadra and the name ceased to exist. However, in the period immediately following the draining of Birkat al Azbekiya, or the or al-azbakiyya lake in 1848. The same name had applied to the entirety of today's Midan al-Khazandar, Midan al ataba and Midan al ubira The removal of the courthouse allowed the creation of the squares that exists today. Until then on, on available maps, the name Midan al-A'ataba al-Khadra is applied to the space to the southeast of the old palace created by the demolition in 1874 of the mosque of Azbak built in 1477, which stood at the entrance to Shar al-Azhar. And another building. This space was wide enough to accommodate Egypt's first streetcar terminus, 1896, contributing immeasurably to its importance.
2: Well, then I think another stage after um, Leslie had gone checking against the two main guides that we had, checking on the on the ground as to whether all the streets existed and what names they seemed to bear. Then we moved to the stage of maps, right? Exactly.
1: Without maps, this book was just not going to be possible. It was imperative that we found maps from eighteen seventy at twenty year intervals because this this type of um, uh, or, uh, to see them to see the intervals would give us an idea of how roads were developed and how names changed. We ordered a good amount of uh, maps from the internet, and we found maps at the Royal Geographic Society in London and Cairo. We went to the British Museum, as well as AUC Rare mm-hmm. Books, and the General Authority of the Survey of Egypt. Map, we came across maps from uh, sites like SamirRafatsEach.com or Egypt in Bygone Days, and they were most helpful. Tourist maps gave a different aspect of, um, of street names, as well as we were able to collect a, the series of the Baydecker Egypt guidebooks from 1880. All in all, we collected over 60, 60 maps that ranged from 14th century to the year 2016.
2: We're talking about old maps, and you have gaps in the record. I mean, you might find a wonderful map from 1932 for the southern half of Cairo, um, but not be able to find the northern half of the same map. Uh, This is sort of a significant problem. So the record, bottom line is, there is no complete and perfect written record. To some extent we can compensate for that by fieldwork where we're talking about modern the situation as it is on the ground now in terms of old names um, we have to work also with book sources often or um, official resources such as the official the journal journal officiel um, uh, similar um, official publications. Uh, But they themselves do not even claim to to present complete inventories of all the streets or list systematically the street name changes. You might find the date for a certain name of a street because in the official gazette, you will find a list of streets in which begging is to be prohibited. Now, if you've got that, if that dates from 1898, then you have... Maybe you have pushed back the date for the name of that street another twenty years, or you know, depending on whatever information you may have had to that point. Um, the other
1: thing yep. is is uh, because of the contradictions, uh, the contradictions and missing streets on maps, we had to refer go to informal resources of asking residents on the on the ground uh, the names of their streets and we would ask for electrical bills as well as some small shops in a cul-de-sac may have a business card all of those all of those informal resources really helped develop the um, well certainly helped identify the name of a missing street but also developed a story street signs go ahead
2: no you finish your Yeah, photo.
1: I was just saying street signs is whether well, they were also a resource for us because I went um, section by section and photographed every single sign that we that we, that was on the a wall and which would give us sometimes a French a French spelling a spelling in French or a spelling in English, but we were always looking for the um, street sign that ha- was spelled in Arabic that would give the authentic the authentic spelling, so those two informal resources were extremely important for our research
2: there's also um, the uh, literature in Arabic which uh, Leslie referred to earlier, which is what you might consider the peripheral literature there is no partic- there is no specific book in Arabic that addresses head on the history of street names, however there are A number of very important and useful studies of the city as such. Um, I would mention in particular uh, the work of um, Hafiz uh, Fathi al Hadidi uh, and um, Hamdi Abu Glail, both written books which, with a a slightly different take on or slightly different focus of interest, nevertheless contain a lot of very, very useful information. And uh, of course, there are older works, uh, for example, in there's uh, Mohamed Kamele Sayed. Mohammed wrote a book called Names and Things Named, one of the great titles, um, which was published in 1989, in which he discusses every aspect of names. Why are things called the way they are in Cairo? And that often or sometimes includes uh, names of streets or at least gives you insight into how a particular street got its name. Um, there's uh, a well-known Egyptian... Uh, to of the early 20th century called Muhammad Ram- Ramzi, who uh, actually wrote a, me- a-, a memorandum called something like Mistakes Made in the Naming of Streets for the Attention of the Minister. And um, he categorized 10 different sorts of mistakes made while naming Cairo streets by the authorities. And uh, that, of course, is both hard information and interesting insight into how these processes um, work. And then you push it back a bit further. You have Ali Mubarak, of course, and um, his famous al um, khitat a great encyclopedia of um, Egypt uh, in the uh, mid to late 19th century. Everybody tells you about that book at first. In fact, when you come to look at... Um, Ali Mubarak's lists of street names, well, yeah, you'll find the name of the street, but unfortunately you won't find much more information he usually he was an engineer, so what he liked to say about the street was this street is 300, three hundred and seventy five three hundred three thousand seven hundred and twenty five meters in length, period, which is not of any great interest, you know it doesn't help show any light doesn't shed any light on why the street got its name. still, these are some of the background uh, sources that we used.
0: When I picked up this field guide for the first time, my eyes glossed over the part of the title that emphasized central Cairo. So naturally, there was this part of me that was looking for Kyrie neighborhoods that I love that are in, well, not central Cairo. But to cover all of Cairo would be an immense task. Where would someone even begin selecting the neighborhoods they would cover in a book like this?
1: Well, we were following the um, borders laid out by Ishmael Pasha's Ismailia project of 1867. And we expanded this to include the districts of El Azvaqiya, El Tuafaqiya, the island of El Gazira, and Garden City. So therefore, we were following the momentum of urban development that progressed through the late 19th century and early 20th century.
2: Yeah, this is broadly referred to these days uh, as downtown, Bellet, though that is not an official term and there's no administrative area called downtown. Um, and uh, But it, but as uh, Leslie was saying, there's, there's a logic to it. It all came out of the same thrust towards um, the creation of a new Cairo. And um, within that, we divided up this larger area into areas that, again, we don't claim for them any uh, official status, but they seem to answer to us, uh, for us, they seem to answer to people's general understanding. So, for example, we have the book, uh, Each Street, to give the reader some orientation as to where they are, after the name of the street, it says, that it's in the district of Al Azbakiya, for example, or it's in the district of Al or it's in the district of um, Abdeen, or, or, or that kind of thing. We had, I think, eight or ten districts of that sort. Okay. Um, and those were fairly um, just trying to use common sense to give uh, some more structure to, to this rather large area. Of course, the one issue that comes up is why didn't we do, and many people say, well, why didn't you do Islamic Cairo first? There would be indeed uh, an obvious logic to that but I think in both our cases our initial attraction is to downtown because maybe just because this is the area that we we live in and that we inhabit and that we know on a daily basis Um, and for me it's kind of my first love. If if novels are going to be set in Cairo they're likely to be set in downtown Cairo, refer to this area of Cairo. It's where I've perhaps this is most important, is where I've always lived. So it has my, it it is my Cairo. Uh, This may explain why we chose it. But to to have done Islamic Cairo also would have meant a much, I think a much longer project. Uh, We would have had to more or less trawl through all of the great medieval chroniclers uh, from you know, al-Maqrizi and Ibn Niyas and 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 all the others, um, and uh, to find to, to garner whatever information we could about about these streets. And I'm sure that there is a pile of information. It would have taken a long time, and it would have required slightly different methodology. Uh, one thing I'm perhaps a little feel a little guilty about is that uh, though we did. Il Gazzira, including Zamelik, and we did Garden City. We did not do emanuel and uh, or Routed El which is the which could very, it may have come online, as it were, in terms of urban development a little later than the others. But it's the same thrust, and um, we just had to draw the line somewhere given the time available. But uh, hopefully next time around, if there's another edition, perhaps we'll be able to include. Um, and then, of course, there's always Giza, Idu'i, Ibn Muhandasin. Every street has a name. Every street, every name has a history or a reason for being there. Um, and then maybe there's Alexandria, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only place I think that we're not going to cover is El Ma'adi. I mean, can you imagine? Uh, road nine, named after the number nine because it's the ninth street east of the Nile, and then Road 10, named after the number 10, etc., etc. I think my idea's got to be the most boring mm-hmm. part of Cairo, street name-wise.
0: Today, Cairo is being divided according to class. The rich are preferring to live out in the desert, far from the heart of traditional Cairo, especially as the government plans to relocate its center of operations to the same areas. It's a topic that's not strictly street names, but I thought Leslie and Humphrey could have some insight.
2: Institutions leave, and there's a tendency towards um impoverishment. Poorer people are left behind i mean and this is a process I'm sure that's been seen in many, many other world cities um but uh, and i don't don't quite know what the cure is um I don't know whether, for example, you really could get affluent people and get a real range of different income levels living together in downtown Cairo. Is that a a dream or or is it unrealistic or not? I don't know.
1: I think um, after Gamal Abdel Nasser, when he took over and there was more of a push for social justice, and i think you could see in downtown and really throughout cairo that lower income began to live a- alongside uh people with the upper income so you would have the bawab the or the concierge families the um people with maybe pop up the pop up industries like mechanics more or less living together in a community where people would be able to communicate between the classes. And I think as in the last 20 years anyway, how gated communities have opened up around Cairo, that has stripped um, uh, Kyrenes of that very important social context of understanding all classes and one another, where, again, the wealthy are integrated community community and the people that serve them are living in a different, a different district. So um, I think we're going through another, a a big shift. And I think it's also happening. You see it happening in other cities all over the world, but um, I think it wasn't a very important aspect of that sharing of understanding of, of class of classes of Um, economic, uh, lower income and upper income all living together. That's disappearing more and more here.
2: I I entirely agree. I can, yeah, I second that. One uh, footnote to to the decline of downtown is something that perhaps represents it is the loss of street signs. I mean, a street without a street sign is... Um, is a street without its identity, and street signs are just disappearing all the all the time in downtown Cairo. I don't know the exact reason. I think there are some there's there's some kind of nostalgia market, which is ultimately destructive because I think people may be actually unscrewing street signs, removing them, and then selling them on or putting them up in their dining rooms or something is a bit of cute uh, Cairoania. Um uh but when you think back in I mean street signs in in Cairo go back to eighteen forty seven when the organization in charge of developing the city, what was called the Tanzim, um uh decreed that uh every street should have a sign at the corner and it had a graded system. For example, the most important streets uh, were to be a white Um, you have a white sign with a black border and the lettering was to be in black and maybe the next grade down it would be a white uh, background with a red border and so on and so forth. I mean, very well thought out system. Um, In 1924, the city government of Cairo had a budget for four workers to install new signs and clean old signs today they are disappearing because they're being stolen or they're being sold for scrap metal they are disappearing because uncontrolled uh, shop uh, frontage goes up and covers them over Um, who knows you know Um, signs that I knew four or five years ago disappeared this is very sad uh it says something about the lack of a real interest in, in in downtown
0: water means a lot to cairo it's why the city exists it's proximity to water the Nile, is the most obvious example of a body of water in cairo of course but when you look at historical maps if you know the city well you can figure out where there was once a lake or a pool population growth has led to their extinction partially because of the population itself but also because of stagnant water's relation to disease. Look at historical etchings and illustrations and you realize that these pools and these lakes were also once social and cultural areas. They're where people went for entertainment, to see and to be seen. But they do not exist today in the same way. Instead, it's the Nile that shapes the city, and at that, only certain parts of the city, because the city has grown to the extent that much of the population and the city's infrastructure lies well beyond sight or contact with the Nile itself. However, given that Humphrey and Leslie's work largely focuses on neighborhoods that are adjacent to the Nile, I was curious what they had to say.
2: Well, there wouldn't be a the the Cairo that we write about wouldn't exist if uh, the River Nile hadn't uh, receded. About, I think it's about a kilometer and a half at the widest uh, from uh, the the course that it um, had when uh, the Arabs uh, conquered Egypt um, in the seventh century. So, uh, and we have um, actually included in the book a map of Cairo's ancient canals and lakes and the course of the Nile in 800 CE and today. Uh, So, that gives us, uh, you know, an interesting. Uh, at-a-glance uh, view of how this the city that we know it um, is the gift of the Nile. This is the common, you know, Herodotus uh, cliché, what's well, become a cliché now that Egypt is the gift. Egypt is the gift of the Nile. Well, also, downtown Cairo is actually the gift of the Nile too. And um, these, uh, the lakes that you refer to, yeah, which were spillover areas, sometimes still connected by a canal, for example, to um, the main river, um and uh with the course of time, they were drained uh as Bakia, that you refer to the garden itself was once a lake um and one of the largest lakes um and with the de- urban development the land was needed for building, they were considered to be as you said um a source of uh m- miasmas and heavy air as they called it at the time uh in other words um, you know the theory that disease is spread by bad air somehow. Uh, so they were—they were they've all, all gone without exception uh, today. One of the problems with that, I suppose, is that um, they could have become, as Lasbukia did, though it's now reduced to a pitiful remnant of its original glory. Uh, they, all these lakes could have become open spaces, and one of the things that Cairo is actually lo- lacking in—downtown Cairo is lacking in. Is open spaces, um, uh, so the city uh, has been molded by water in more ways than one, as you as you as you mentioned.
1: Uh, the also is zamalek really was stabilized after the Aswan Dam was built in the fifties, especially the northern part of it, which was constantly being flooded up into uh, up to the nineteen fifties and. Therefore, development of the northern tip of, of Zamalik really took off after Abdul-Gamal Nasser finished the Aswan Dam. The other point I wanted just to mention was that um, Ismailia project itself would not have been a project without the pumping stations that were uh, previously installed before, they, before any type of building. The, um, ha- had started in the, on the project. So they, had, they knew that water was absolutely necessary, pipe water was, and sewage was necessary before they de- made any of their development in that area. Um, so I, I, think those, I think that's a very important part with the development of Ismailia.
0: We're about to talk about icons and iconic spaces in particular. When I think of icons and the icons of Egypt, one that comes to mind actually has an entry in Leslie Humphrey's book, even though she's not a place. It's the diva, the great lady of Arabic music, Umkultum. Here's the entry from the book on the street named for her. Sharar Umkultum in El Gezira, or Umkultum Street in El Gezira. Named so since 1975, after Fatima Ibrahim al-Sayyid al-Bultagi, known as Umkultum, and popularly as a sit or the lady, diva and actress, regarded by some as the greatest Arab singer of all time, her monthly Thursday night broadcast concerts in the period after 1967 were listened to throughout the Arab world. Her statue by Tariq al Kummi stands where her villa once stood on Sharra Abu Fadda. This name applies to the entire length of the street along the western bank of Al-Ghazira Island, from its southern end to the beginning of Shara Abu Fadda in the north. That's the entry, and here's what Leslie and Humphrey have to tell us about iconic spaces in Cairo.
2: It's a no-brainer to me that the most iconic space in Cairo at the moment is uh, Medina Tahrir, uh, Tahrir Square, or Liberation Square, uh, which um, saw the events... Uh, which was the center, the focal point of the um revolution of uh, two thousand and eleven um and became world known for that reason, even if it hadn't and even before that of course, it was perhaps the best known single area uh, uh, space in 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 the city um I I think it's got something uh, but okay, and against that you could contrast that, for example. I mean al Tahrir is kind of the Meden Abdin of um of today. Um Abdeen Abdin was also uh, a witness to historic events. Uh the Abdin which was uh, which is now officially called Medan Gomhoria, um in front of the Abdin Palace of the uh, the king's uh, the, the rural palace, uh, which witnessed not only every kind of royal pageantry, processions always set off from there. The king going off to any place, including abroad, would set off down what is now Gumri or Republic Street, uh, but was then a variety of streets. Most recently, Ibrahim Besha Street, and um, and and also it was where, for example, the British uh, Army drew its uh, forces up and uh, forced uh, King Farouk to accept its imposition, the British imposition of a prime minister whom he did not want and a government whom he did not want, which is said to have played significantly into the king's somewhat um, nonchalant attitude to uh, running the country. Um, I mean, his feeling perhaps of impotence that was... Created then, um, and before that, of course, Abdina Square was where the Arabi Revolution um, made uh, uh, came to came to a head. Uh, so, I, I, this idea of an iconic space, I think, it's essentially linked to power and great events. When these play out in any particular place, then then they that place takes a a space in in, in in the minds of those who observe or hear about these things, uh, which isn't erased. And then there are some iconic spaces that are just, you know, because people use them all the time. I, I don't know if you know uh, what is officially called uh, miden al-falaki. Uh, people usually refer to refer to it as miden bebelu. I mean, if anybody in Cairo hasn't been through a thousand times in their lives i doubt it so it just becomes some place that you know it's your point of reference it's a reference point everybody knows these a number of nodes that were in the city by which you can navigate it by referring to it when you're talking to other telling other people how to get around and so on so i guess that's um how places come to be iconic, either association with power and great events or by the most mundane of processes?
1: Um, I i was thinking about um, the area called Bab el-Hadid, where where we're talking right now about um, Madan Tahrir. It's a very current, popular place that's iconic, but Bab el-Hadid has been a name in the memory and the consciousness of egyptians and, and uh Kyrenes since uh, the year 1281 when salahuddin built the his westernmost gate on the nile and in in this area is the um, cairo ra- railroad station so i i have to think that iconic um Faces as well as iconic names can often be um, promoted by cinema and especially Bab el-Hadid. There was a cinema in 1958 called Bab Bab el-Hadid that um, Yusuf Shaheen made, and he could have chosen any name to describe this particular area, but he chose Bab Bab el-Hadid because... I think anybody on a street today, if you go and ask where this uh, location is, people would could tell you immediately. And over all these centuries, that name has really held out, even though today that same area is named Madame El or Madame Ramses, where where even it of itself is an iconic name.
0: Over the course of this interview, we've spent a lot of time talking about Cairo as a city, its urban history. But what about the street names themselves, the actual subject of the book? How do streets get their names?
2: One of the obvious um, ways in which a street gets its name is um, uh, through ideological um, pressures. Uh, a change in regime, as for example, in, after the 1952 revolution, Uh, It took a couple of years, but uh, soon after that, um, 14 names were changed. Uh, 14 streets had their names changed because they commemorated members of the royal family. So overnight, they were either given new revolutionary names or allowed to revert to their um, original name, like the street that I live on, which is uh, called uh, Sheikhan, which is one of the oldest names, uh, appears on maps as early as 1870 because there was a little... Tiny gate on the city wall, um, called uh, after Sheikh Han, who's a Sufi buried nearby. Um, he reverted. He, re- in the 1930s, the royal family, who was just as much into ideological branding as as the revolutionaries, um, decided to call this uh, um, Sultan Hussein Kamil Street after the um, uh, ruler of Egypt uh, from 1914, I guess when. They made the break with the Ottoman Empire. Um, but in, with the revolution, I guess they'd run out of suitable names, so they just let it go back to Shekhan, which it remains to this day. Uh, there's the honoring of national figures, of course. We have streets named after people like Sharawi um, uh, and um and, and painters and actors and writers and so on and so Footballers. forth. Footballers. Footballers, yes. Hussein Hagezi.
1: And, and I wanted to say that uh, irrigation engineers we were talking about water.
2: Absolutely, yes. So many of the streets for example in Zamelik are named after uh, irrigation engineers. I always thought that uh, Ismail muhammad must be a Mamluk. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out he was then a 20th and early 20th century irrigation engineer. Um... Uh, Hassan uh was a footballer who played in England professionally, came back, was on the uh, Egyptian national team, and was the oldest goal—the oldest gold scorer in the Olympics for 30 years. So he has a name. He has a street named after him. Um, he should do too. Um, but then there's this this mechanism that's very clear in in Cairo of giving streets names that evoke historical periods or historical personages um, in order to sort of um, you know, um, uh, add depth and historical feeling and dignity to a particular neighborhood. There's that cluster of streets in Zemelech uh, which are all named after Ayyubid rulers, and there are several that are ma- named after Fatimids, such as good old uh, Amara al-Yemeni. Um, there are um, uh, one interesting thing about that is that many of these names bear no correspondence to um, the actual historical situation. Uh, So downtown in particular, you get places like uh, Bustain al-Adi, named after Al-Qadil Fadil, who was a man of letters, a Yubid man of letters, um, who had a plantation down there. But as Mohammed Ramzi pointed out in that memorandum on the mistakes made by people, who, by the authorities in naming streets, this piece of land that is named after him actually would have been underwater at the time that he was alive. So Ilad al would never have actually set foot on dry land in that um, in the place where the street named after him now exists. And there are many examples of this sort. But I think, in fact, maybe Mohammed Ramzi missed the point. Uh, the, the people who named these streets, and unfortunately we don't know much about exactly who they were. Um, we're we're trying to we're simply trying to evoke that historical dimension of the, of the city. Um, then we have um, I think it's very important to to notice too that most streets in Cairo and perhaps in every city in the world do not get named in the formal sense that we tend to think of it you know that there's a committee or something like that which sits down and says okay so what would be a good name to give this street no names grow like topsy they just get people need to call a street by a name long before the authorities get around to recording it and putting it on the map or otherwise using it Um, and if you go in fact as we were privileged to do to the records of the streets naming committee at the governorate of Cairo um, you, which unfortunately only go back as far as 1960, so they're not you know, as comprehensive as what might sound um, you'll find that many many of these entries uh, in, the, in the big ledger are ratifications of street names that had already come into existence it's just that the authorities said okay people call it that so that's just going to be its name.
0: To close the interview, my last question to Leslie and Humphrey was selfish. I wanted to know if they had favorite neighborhoods in the city. It's partially because I myself cannot pick. Ambassia has a place in my heart because I spent time with people there. Garden City, Munida have a few of my favorite spots to eat and hang out. Downtown has some great architecture. It's almost like picking a favorite child.
1: What my favorite Kyrene neighborhood? I love that question
0: because
1: it's hands down to do research in Fum El-Khalig was, every time I went there, I was actually very happy. Fum El-Khalig is an um, area that's not written about, and it's uh, an area where where there's just not very much history except in the past. History is best known for the Mamluk celebrations of breaking the dam at the height of the Nile flooding. But otherwise, the area is not well known. It, it has um, low-income housing. It has pop-up uh, industries like mechanics. And much of the land is given over to the Coptic um, cemeteries. So if you're not interested in, if you don't live there, not particularly interested in the area, you wouldn't find yourself going there. And that's exactly why I liked it, because it was remote. It was unknown. And it was, and it was exciting to explore. It was just off the beaten path. And it was the only um, district where people opened their windows and asked me in for tea. Or they would come out of their doorway and inquire why I was on their street and then when I would explain about it, they were so interested and actually very proud that their street would be in the book.
2: Uh, I don't I don't think I have a favorite neighborhood streetwise name street name wise. Um I'm I do have some favorite street names. Um, I I like the bloopers. I'm particularly fond of bloopers. There are a number of them around. Um, One of them is in uh, Zemelik, for example, where there's a street that, according to the sign, is called um, Amarat al-Yamani. Uh, which translates as the Yemeni building. So everybody will tell you, oh yes, there was a building here called the Yemeni building, but the street's hardly 100 yards long and there's one very old building on it, no sign of anything else. One wonders where that was fitted and it was. Tu- it turns out that it's got nothing to do with buildings. This was a poet whose name was Omara el-Yemen. In in Arabic writing, these two come out as essentially the same and with the loss of historic um, you know a a, a fine tuning of historical background um the idea that, that this had been named after um a Yemeni poet who had come as a diplomat to Cairo and then stayed on and written lots of good things about it um was lost and so it created a complete an, a a, a non existent building uh, in um also in zemelik at the other end there's a place that is uh, on the sign is called um uh il which means something like the specialization corner uh, or, uh but it actually uh writing for which means hovel corner the corner of the hovels or the shacks uh mm, I guess maybe somebody didn't want to write um a word as as kind of Low, low-toned low as uh, shacks or hovels. Um, but my all-time favorite is um, Meden, uh simon Bolivar, which is a well-known um, small square, but it's sort of uh, the intervening space between um, Garden City and Miden um, tahrir uh, And uh, for many years, this uh, uh, S- Simón de Bolivar Square bore a large sign stating a large official sign stating that it was called Simone de Beauvoir square i don't know if that was somebody in the sign making department who had a good sense of humor or or a genuine i don't know maybe they did google translate on simone de beauvoir or something like that anyway there are lots of uh, there are a number of fun fun places like that if i had to choose a neighborhood i would have of course to say Abdeen, which is where I live, so I'm a strong Abdeen supporter. It includes one street with a wonderful name, in a way, which unfortunately outside our area, which is Bir el Atala, Murder as Well. I'm I'm waiting till we expand the the area of the, the book so that we can research exactly how that street got its name.
0: I want to congratulate Leslie and Humphrey and AUC Press on the new book, and I personally recommend it. It is excellently researched and it's just really fun to read. You can read it in one sitting, you can pop in for the stories and the micro-histories from time to time, and I also suggest assigning it to students in college and in high school. A Field Guide to the Street Names of Central Cairo just gives you this tremendous sense of Cairo's urban landscape through a really unexpected entry point, its street names.